Hello and welcome to Birkbeck Voices, the monthly podcast from Birkbeck University of London. I'm Andrew Youngson. Each month we're out and about in the college speaking to academics, students and members of staff. This month we've been speaking to researcher Mark Panton about his thesis on sports stadiums and urban regeneration, Birkbeck Outreach Officer Faith Williams about her role and the pioneering project she's leading with Harringay Council, and the college's recruitment manager, Eleanor Martin, about the formal launch of the Birkbeck Talent Recruitment Service. So, here we go! First up, research focus. For many, sport isn't just considered a positive force for changing one's lifestyle. I mean, yes, playing football for 90 minutes is certainly more beneficial than sitting on the sofa watching other people play on TV, but what about sport as a catalyst for change in the broader sense? Birkbeck researcher Mark Panton is currently looking into sport as a key agent for urban regeneration, specifically the opportunities and challenges that are presented when a plan for a new football stadium arrives on the scene. Taking a break from his busy thesis writing schedule, Mark stopped by the studio to speak about his research, plus why he made the career leap from lawyer to sport academic. A long time ago I worked in in an advertising agency. Um, I eventually left there and did a law degree at uh, Manchester University. Um, became a partner in a law firm uh, working on criminal defence work, so um, down at police stations and magistrates' courts representing people. Um, for various reasons, um, I decided to, to move on from that. Uh, I still do a bit of consultancy work in that area. Um, but I really enjoyed sport and liked the idea of teaching. So ooh, five years ago, six years ago, I did an MSc in sport management mm-hmm. at Birkbeck. And, and was that done um, really as a as a means to an end, you thought, I really do want to make a transition, but I'd be sensible about this and, and do do the course first and see where that leads to? Or, you know, what, what was your mind process behind initially doing the MSc? Yeah, a certain amount of that. Um, I did it part-time, and so still had my toe in the working water mm-hmm. as, a, as a solicitor, um, but also with a view to making a bit of a transition um, in, into perhaps a sports organisation. It hasn't kind of worked out that way, um, but, you know, you, you never know in the long term. Absolutely. Um, so I enjoyed doing the, the MSc, um, and then I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to do um, some PhD research. So um, that's what yeah. brought me there and where I am at the moment. So um, what first, before we talk about the, the topic of your PhD thesis, um, what part of the process are you through? How, how long have you been doing this? Well, so I'm, I'm in the fifth year. Wow, okay, uh, so it's so final part, furlong. You know, part, part-time, obviously, um, juggling a few responsibilities at home and um, teaching and things like that at Birkbeck. So, yeah, I'm hoping to finish it this, certainly this academic year. Um, you know, I've come here today pulled myself away from trying to write the conclusion (laughs) Uh, any any distraction rewrite the conclusion we'll we'll get we'll get this done done and dusted now (laughs) so yeah the the topic's fascinating title the the use of sports stadiums in urban regeneration a stakeholder's perspective yeah um again you know you know a potted answer but i mean what 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 is the main focus the crux of it um that that you're looking into um, so it, it's about how if you build a, a new a new sports stadium in any particular area, um, especially in 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 the UK, you're going to affect a lot of people. Um, so it's a stakeholders perspective I feel is really appropriate for investigating this area. Um, multiple stakeholders involved, 
from the football clubs and local councils as what might be seen as focal organisations, main players, but they're still stakeholders. Mm -hmm. um, but also the local community, uh, local residents, local businesses, how they can influence what's going on to, to some extent and what they can get out of it as a, as a community. There are lots of claims made for the benefits of sports stadiums, um, especially in the States. They've been investigated as to the economic claims and largely don't seem to stand up. Um, similar claims are, are made in this country, both for their regenerative effect in mm. terms of what's been called placemaking and also potentially economic benefits. So it's looking at different angles from the perspectives of a lot of different groups of people. Mm. What was the initial um, spark um, in, in choosing that topic? I mean, it must be almost impossible to, to pick a topic when you're told, OK, here's a PhD, what are you going to do with it? Um, I've got to just say that I am a Manchester City supporter for my sins. Full disclosure. Well, a long time, a long time, since 1969, not a recent convert. OK, OK. Um, and they moved into a new stadium in, in 2003, which was the, Com the Commonwealth Games Stadium of 2002. And so I had a kind of interest in, in what was happening in East Manchester there. And at the time when I was ready to start my PhD research was around about the time that Manchester City were planning an expansion in the same area to bring their training complex um, from outside of town into what's essentially a, an urban area. And at the same time, Tottenham were putting in planning a planning application. This is around 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. for their new stadium. And so those two different sites seem to be um, worth investigating because they are... It's, some similarities, but also some some kind of quite radical differences. So, um, what what are some of the the key opportunities and challenges that are are facing these key stakeholder groups, particularly the the ones that are pro change and pro the the future development um, at both of these sites? Um, well, I think for the football clubs, certainly they're they're looking to build new facilities which will increase their attendances and increase income, allowing them to, um, to, to challenge further up the leagues. Um, uh, um, I think some pressure is brought on clubs like Manchester City and Tottenham by their local rivals as well mm. and, and the stadiums that they've built. Local councils, to some extent, I think, see it as an opportunity to, in their words, regenerate areas, placemaking um, development opportunities certainly in, in Haringey is viewed from that perspective um, local communities um, slightly different in, in East Manchester where the site was an old industrial area and so it's more akin to, to Stratford in East London where there was a lot of uh, work had to be done to the ground before anything could be done to it um, Tottenham, Haringey the area's uh, radically different um, I had a walk around with, with David Conn, who wrote a three-page article for The Guardian on the development a couple of years ago, and he was amazed by how vibrant the area was. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's, you know, portrayed as being quite run down, but actually it's a very vibrant area. Mm -hmm. And for some of the people there, some of the changes uh, are quite difficult to, for them to accept. It involves knocking down 
social housing across the road from the ground and retail businesses that families live above mm-hmm. um, to make way for a walkway from a redeveloped uh, White Hart Lane station mm-hmm. to the football ground. So there are lots of um, issues that people like that have about um, not necessarily the stadium because a lot of them are, are perhaps Tottenham supporters and yeah. signed petitions five years ago to keep them in the area rather, mm-hmm. than, to, rather than moving to the, the Olympic Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the associated um, regeneration developments um, are, are problematic for them as well. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've done quite a bit of work with local community groups in, in Tottenham around some of their, those issues. And the Great London Authority did an investigation into use of stadiums in, in regeneration. And I submitted a, a paper on that and, and helped to draft papers on behalf of um, the Our Tottenham Group um, for, for that report, which is out. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, does it help to have a, a legal background when it comes to doing something like this? I mean, what, what research methods have you have you been employing here? Um, I, think it, I think it helps in, in as much as there are lots of documents and planning documents um, you know, that are associated with these developments. So documents of the council look at might be 250, 300 pages long. Mm-hmm. And as, as a lawyer, I think you get used to looking through that kind of documentation and picking out relevant um, relevant issues. And not crying just before um, you start looking at it for the 300 well, pages. I think it. sometimes it's, you get quite excited by it. Yeah. <laughs> you're wow. going to find out some, <laughs> there's going to be some nuggets of information somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it helps from that perspective. Otherwise, you know, I've, I've, been learning, which is obviously part of what, what doing this kind of um, research is about. And it, it's been, the research is based on interviews with, with people, but also participant observation um, at a lot of meetings that have happened in both Tottenham and Manchester um, with local community groups and to some extent the football clubs. So what kind of learning outcomes can these key movers and shakers at these two sites plus also you as a researcher what can you take from other sites around the world where um this kind of uh, activity is taken place you know attached to the idea of regeneration what can be taken from that um i think it's, it's possible that sports stadiums can bring positive developments um but they need to involve local communities to a far greater extent um to make sure that they glean some of the benefits there you know after after all lots of these people have have lived there for generations um previous research going back over 20 years um in the states and in this country to to a lesser extent talk about problems um when local communities aren't involved so it creates problems when the stadiums are being built and it can create problems afterwards if if the community don't get benefits there there isn't access to facilities um, so I, I think overall, part of my conclusion of, of my research is that people aren't learning some of the um, what, what's, what's been spoken about for over 20 years, mm-hmm. that you need to be inclusive mm-hmm. and allow participation and a lot of engagement from, from local people. Um, you can see that more in the two studies that I've done. You can see that a bit more in East Manchester than you can in Tottenham. Uh, and I think... It may not be entirely coincidental that 
um, the training facility in East Manchester w was up for the planning permission was about the same time as Tottenham were putting in their planning permission. The site in East Manchester was opened in 2014. Uh, Tottenham are only just starting to to dig the ground mm -hmm. uh, for their new stadium, um, and so that may not be entirely coincidental. But if you look after the local community, things become easier. Yeah. And, and lastly, I guess we know immediately what's next for you, you know, going back uh, <laughs> to finish <laughs> the, the thesis. But what's the next step as far as you are aware? Um, I think, yeah, short, short term, complete the, fin complete the thesis, um, hopefully. Um, continue some teaching. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping to maybe do some further research in, in this area. There's lots of... Uh, ideas out there for new stadiums which are in the planning process uh, perhaps you know there might be some consultancy work mm -hmm. or um, some way that I can apply some of the um, some of the things that I've learned from the research absolutely I'm sure that your your voice would be very welcome at the the first um, meeting that held by these people looking to make a, a huge difference to their, their yeah local I mean it's been great also working with local communities uh more, more so in in Tottenham Manchester but it, you know it's it's been fantastic to be in, involved and and a, and a privilege um to be able to work with with some of these people and obviously those issues are still ongoing for, for lots of them Mark Panton thank you very much okay thanks Andrew next up it's the Birkbeck people slot in summer 2015, Haringey Council and Birkbeck announced a pioneering partnership that would see more doors to higher education open to Londoners in the area. Here, Birkbeck Outreach Officer and lifelong Tottenham resident Faith Williams tells us about the specifics of the project, why it's important and what she enjoys so much about her role. My name is Faith Williams and I'm the Birkbeck Outreach Officer. Um, my main role is to support Tottenham residents to access higher education, but not just that, to get them thinking about what their career options are, what their pathways are. I'm a born and bred Tottenham young person, um, lived here all my life, I'm still here, and I'm part of this, this community. Um, I was one of the first in my family to access higher education, and um, there was many barriers that I had to go through to, to do that. So for me to be able to do that for somebody else or to support people that haven't had that opportunity to go to higher education um, is just a great thing to do. So what we're currently doing at the moment is we are running a monthly careers workshop. And the idea of the careers workshop is to get, is to get people initially thinking about what career options are there, what's out there for them. And then we will sit down with them and help them map out their future. We also have a learner's lounge, we can start putting in, helping them put their CV together or if it's about applying to university, we can get them to do their personal statement and we can sit down with them. So at the end of them coming to our workshops, they've also had further help with putting it together. What we want this to be as well as a space where people can come and find out what's going on in the area. There's so much activities and projects happening. There might be something that they can actually do here um, with another organisation and um, it will just further their development. So for us it's really that personal development, helping them just access that information. 
Tottenham has been chosen because there's a lot of regeneration happening in the area and as that's happening what's going to happen is that there's going to be new jobs and there's going to be new opportunities for people within the community and what we want is that people are able to access those jobs. We've got a lovely six, um, enterprise building which is you know it's the, kind of the flagship for the area. It would be great for pe people to see this as the one-stop shop that they can come into and know that when they've come out they've got something, they have a plan. And it's just been, it's a great experience just being in the area and being part of something that is about growth and development and change. It doesn't matter really who I'm working with, but if I can change one life or if I can support somebody to do something different or if I can just, if I can just be that, that print, that that fingerprint, that something that I, something I said that was able to kind of change someone's direction for the better, that's, that's what I really enjoy about the work that I do. When I'm not at work, I am a mother. I am in the gym a lot of the time. And I also am a singer-songwriter, so I like to write, um, perform, um, put on events, so we have shows and that run monthly. Um, and so music is, my heart really and I tend I like to think that on I play the piano on but I don't really but I should really do a bit more but I don't do as much as I should do. <laughs> that was outreach officer and singer extraordinaire Faith Williams there. Last up this edition of Birkbeck Voices it's the calendar. Today, the importance has never been greater for higher education institutions to not only play a part in students' educational journeys, but to help them pave their careers beyond university. In March, Birkbeck's recruitment service, Birkbeck Talent, celebrated its first milestone, the completion of its incredibly successful pilot year. To find out more about the service and how students and employers can benefit from it, I spoke with recruitment manager, Eleanor Martin. Okay, and welcome to the podcast, Eleanor. Thanks very much for finding time. No problem. What is Birkbeck Talent? Birkbeck Talent is effectively a recruitment service for Birkbeck students and graduates. So we act a bit like a traditional recruitment agency, helping students and graduates to find work. Um, and we also provide a service for employers, so we make it easy for employers to recruit Birkbeck students and graduates. And this is you just on the tail end of the pilot year, is that right? That's right. So we uh, just did our launch of the service for students and staff last week. Um, and we had a really successful pilot year in 2015 um, where we worked um, across with students across all of the different schools. We worked with around a thousand students in the pilot year um, and we worked really hard to find um, around 400 of those students interviews or assessment centres um, that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Um, and we um, placed 160 students into paid employment. Fantastic. I was at the, the staff launch event um, last week and I mean that alone was a packed room and I would imagine it was the same with the student launch as well. I mean there's a lot of interest, yes outside of the, um, the, the college but within as well there's a real kind of appetite for this to find out more and also to engage isn't there? Definitely. I think we're a really um, unique service. Birkbeck Talent is really different from what other universities offer. Um, and I think for a long time, a lot of people within the uni have been keen to help students to access employment opportunities. So the fact that there's a service now which is set up to do just that um, works really well. Cool. Um, the 
to highlight a bit of the, the student journey and then the employer journey um, with Birkbeck Talent. Um, first of all, the student um, journey. A student gets in touch with you, they turn up at your door. What's their A to Z steps with you? Um, so students can uh, register with, with us through their My Birkbeck profile. So they go onto their My Birkbeck profile and there's a Birkbeck Talent container. And on there they can um, click to sign up with us. Um, and they can also search through the jobs that we're working on and register their interest in any jobs that we're working on. Um, once they've done that, they'll come in to meet with um, a member of my team, a recruitment advisor, um, and they'll have a small group session with a recruitment advisor where they find out more about Birkbeck Talent, about the roles that we're working on, and also we find out more about them and what their skills and strengths are. Um, following that, they can then put in applications, so send us tailored CVs, for any of the roles that they're interested in, and we we will then um, send those across to the employer. If it becomes apparent that the student needs support with their written application, so if they send us a CV which isn't up to scratch, then we can um, intervene and send them across to the Careers and Employability Service so they can get tailored support with their written application. Um, and also once they get selected for interview with the employer, we can also help them to get a mock interview with the Careers and Employability Service so that they're really supported throughout the process um, right through to then getting a placement with the employer. From the employer's perspective then, what's the interface there and the journey that you take with them when you've got somebody new um, that comes to you or you go to them? So any employer that we work with, we'll uh, meet with them first. We make sure that um, the employment opportunity that they're offering is relevant to our students and also that it's a meaningful employment opportunity um, and that it meets minimum kind of working conditions, standards. Um, once we're satisfied with that, we will then advertise their rollout to um, the student body in various different ways um, and we then draw up a kind of short list of candidates um, which we then send on to the employer. So the employers really like it because it means they get um, a smaller number of high quality applications that's really relevant to their role. Um, so it makes it really easy for them to select a couple of candidates to interview um, and then once they've decided who that they want to take on, um, we support them through to the um, sending the contracts and just getting the person on board. I mean, you said the key word there, um, meaningful, a meaningful um, opportunity for, for both parties. What, what does that mean if you kind of unpack that statement in terms of what Birkbeck Talent offers? Um, any role that we work on, there needs to be uh, a kind of business reason for the company to take on a person. So it needs to be fulfilling um, a real business need. Um, and I think any role that does that um, means that it's going to be beneficial for the company because obviously it's fulfilling a business need, but also it's beneficial for the student as well so that um, they're getting the right training and also the right development um, to do the role. And I think because we only work on paid opportunities, it means that um, the students are able to, um, to access those opportunities and all students are able to access those paid opportunities um, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. Oh. The, you mentioned the, um, the careers and employability service that you work with on this. Can you tell us a little bit more about the integration between um, the two services? Yeah, we work really closely with the careers and employability service. So um, they work with students, helping them to, even maybe before they come to our door, um, the students work with the careers and employability service to work out what their key skills and strengths are, what their career goals are, and what kind of roles that they want to go for. Um, 
then the career service can support them with um, employability skills, so as well as things like um, CVs and um, interview skills, also things like using social media to search for jobs. So really, really um, kind of up-to-date careers information. Um, and there's also an online careers portal as well, so students can um, build their CV online, they can do practice psychometric tests online and they can even do um, an interview there's an interview simulator online so if a student's not able to come into Birkbeck um, to do a mock interview they can at any you know at their convenience they can go online and do like a practice interview which is videoed and then they can watch themselves back so that they can improve their performance um, so the career service is brilliant because it provides all that really good support for students um, and on the employer side as well, we work together with the career service because if we're working with an employer who's interested in recruiting Birkbeck students, um, that employer might come and deliver careers workshops, they might come and um, deliver kind of an insight session so students can understand um, what it's like to work within their organisation, um, or they might come along to one of the careers fairs that the career service runs, so we're, we're really integrated with the career service. So you talked about the, the volume of students that you work with in the pilot year. Are there any particular, you know, successful case studies that, that spring to mind of, you know, partnerships or, um, that or, or posts that were filled? Um, yeah, uh, one of the students that we worked with, Simba, um, before he came to us, he'd had a really interesting career journey. So he'd uh, worked in insurance within financial services for, for I think, um, a fair amount of time. He'd also lived in Jersey, where he'd set up his own business, which had, had gone really well. But he was uh, he came to Birkbeck to do computer science, so he was interested in the kind of technology side um, and really wanted to move away from insurance. Um, so we helped him to find a role within Asus, um, the computer company, and they um, took him on to do a digital marketing role. Um, he's uh, their lead buyer, so he's involved in kind of a lot of the advertising decisions. Um, and it's perfect role for him because it really suits his uh, people skills and his kind of creativity, but also his knowledge and understanding of uh, technology as well. Brilliant. And lastly, pilot year done, a big tick. What's the, what are the next steps? So now we're really keen to um, get the message about Birkbeck Talent out there to students and to more employers. So we're um, about to have an employer launch event um, and we're also looking to um, looking at different ways that we can work with different areas of the college so that we really positively engage with students and get more students signed up with Birkbeck Talent. Brilliant. Well, watch this space. More more to, to come on the, on the Birkbeck Voices podcast from Birkbeck Talent, I've no doubt. And that concludes our latest edition of Birkbeck Voices. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please hit the subscribe button on iTunes and tell all your friends. And if you didn't, that's okay too. Either way, please share your thoughts by emailing us at communications at bbk.ac.uk. That's communications at bbk.ac.uk. Thanks again and see you next time.